Okay, let's all rise, please, for the Word of God. By the way, it's a wonderful morning, and uh, we continue to declare that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice, and we will be glad in it. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you, because it's all about you. You are our Abba. You are our God. You are our Father. And Revelation chapter 4 states that you are the one who sits on the throne, clothed with glorious lights. And for this reason, we pray that from that throne of grace, that you pour your grace, your mercy, and your glory in our midst. We need your anointing. Let your glory fall upon us, Lord, like a rain, and let it flow like a river. Help me today. Touch my heart, my soul, my lips, Lord, that I may share the word of God, that it may come forth freshly from heaven and touch the hearts of the people that they may see and hear and understand that they may receive the word and be a doer of God's word. Father, we commit everything for your glory and for your praise. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen and amen. Bless the Lord. So the title of our subject for today is God's Glorious Throne, and our text comes from Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. To me, Revelation chapter 4 is the best chapter in the whole book of Revelation. Actually, Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 is connected to each other. Chapter 5, the focus of that would be Jesus the lamb that was slain. And he alone is worthy to break the seven seals. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. But the central faith of Revelation chapter 4 is God's glorious throne. We have got to know who sits on the throne. And the one who sits on the throne is glorious. We always sing the song, Majesty. And we worship His majesty. If we understand Revelation chapter 4, it will change the way you pray. It will change the way you worship God. God's glorious throne. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Come boldly. Come with strength. Come with power. Come with expectancy. You come to the throne of grace. And God is the one who sits on the throne. Think about this for a while. We are here at L.A., but when you start worshiping God, you're there in heaven. God's very throne room. 
Some people are able to do this, but some people are not able to do it. But you need to envision every time you pray, every time you praise God, every time you worship God, you begin to see Him in His glory. Surrounded with lights. And there is that rumbling and roaring and thundering sounds. And the four angels of the Lord would shout and sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And the 24 elders would bow down before God. And the church, all the believers, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, stands in the sea of glass. They have a perfect view of God. And they see Him in His glory. And they are captivated with His glory. And because they see Him in His wonderfulness, they would respond, You are so worthy and we give you the highest praise. The most beautiful thing that God could ever hear any believer say when they go to the throne is when they say to the Father God, Father, you are worthy. You gave your only begotten Son, and I love you with all of my heart. That's what Revelation chapter 4 is all about. Okay, let's go to the next page. There are three things that he mentions here he says, this is in Revelation chapter 1, write the things which you have seen, write the things which are, and write the things which will take place after this. The word after this in the Greek is metatalta, after this. And in the whole book of Revelation, you will see the word metatalta in Greek or the words after this. Because the events are in chronological order. He says, the things which you have seen. In Revelation chapter 1, John sees in a vision Jesus as God. Jesus coming again for the second time. Actually, the main theme of the book of Revelation is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. It says there, he is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. He came in flesh and blood, but is coming as God this time. And is going to land in the Mount of Olives to battle the nations of, of Israel or the nations of the world to save Israel from all of her enemies and it is known as the Battle of Armageddon. So John saw Jesus in his glory. And the things which are. So we're talking about when John wrote this book. And he wrote this book in the first century. And in the first century, he talks about the seven churches. The seven churches in minor or in Asia Minor, which presently is modern Turkey. 
He spoke to all those churches. And then he says, and the things which will take place after this. After Revelation 1, after Revelation 2, after Revelation 3. Presently, we are in what you call the church age. We are presently the 21st century church of Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. And the church age has not ended yet. It will come to an end once she is taken away, which is known as the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. Harpazo in Greek, rapturo in Latin Vulgate. Jesus is taking his bride. And we're coming home one of these days. That will bring us to what you call the seven years of tribulation. Jesus will start breaking the seals in Revelation chapter 6. But before he breaks the seals, before the world enters into great tribulation, we will be taken first in Revelation chapter 4. Okay, so the things you have seen, number one, the appearance of the Lord Jesus, the things which are, which is the church age, we're still in the church age. The age, this church age will end once the world enters into great tribulation. The things which will take place, this is what you call the predictive prophecy, which we'll see in Revelation chapter 6, but we're not going to cover that. Actually, we're... Um, we have a series of study in the Philippines in the book of Revelation. So uh, I'm sharing this uh, Revelation chapter 4 to you today because, as I've said to me, it is the most beautiful chapter in the book of Revelation. Okay, come up here. Can we all say those, these words? Come up here. Wow. Then I looked. And I saw a door standing open in heaven. The same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Once again, we see these words after this. I saw a door. To many pastors, preachers of the gospel who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, whether you believe in the pre, the mid, or the uh, post, it doesn't matter. What's important is you believe in the rapture of the church. The Bible does not say that there will only be one rapture event for the church of Jesus Christ, which means it is possible that there will be three rapture events. So let's not fight against each other regarding whether it's pre, mid, or post-tribulation rapture. I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. So before Revelation chapter 6, which is the start of the, seven, of the breaking of the seven seals, before the world enters into great tribulation, there was a door standing open in heaven. 
And in Matthew chapter 25, there was a door that was opened for all the ten virgins, but only five were able to get in. And that door, my friend, is the door of the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, so this words, a door standing open in heaven, is actually rapture language. When we, when we study the word of God. And he says, the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet. Again, that is another rapture language. And many would say, but we don't see the word rapture in the Bible. Do you see the word Bible in the Bible? Huh? No, the Bible is not in the Bible. <laughs> rapture, yes, of course, in the English language, you will not see the word rapture. Because the word that was taken from it was taken from Latin, which is rapturo, which is come up here, or taken, or being caught up in the clouds. But anyway, he says, come up here, and I will show you. Come up here. Here. So this is a picture. And uh, John was on the earth. He was in, the, in a place called Patmos. He was being persecuted. They tried to kill him by boiling him in that boiling pot. He wouldn't die. So they threw him in the island called Patmos. So he was there in the island called, called Patmos. But he saw a vision. And, and, and the voice says, come up here. My friend, to us, if John is representing us, that's the rapture of the church of Jesus. Anyway, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. There will be a shout from heaven, and that shout is the shout of God. With the voice of the archangel, watch this, with the trump of God like a trump blast, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we, we, we're still alive, we're not dead, we can breathe, but we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up, rapturo, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. How many here you've lost someone? During the pandemic. A loved one. A friend. Did you know they'll, they'll be the first ones to get raptured? The only thing that separates us from them. If they're Christians. Is what you call time. The dead in Christ shall rise first. But we who are alive. Shall be caught up with them. And we will see Jesus. Face to face. And the Bible says we shall be like him. And we shall be with him forever and ever. Okay. This is the word. Rapturo. Rapture. It means to snatch or to take away. 1 Thessalonians 4.17. The words that were used were the words caught up. Okay. No one knows the day and the hour. No one knows. Now, this is so important. How many here, you've been a Christian for such a long time? 
You are a Christian in the early 80s. Huh? Okay. In 1988, Edgar Weinstein wrote the book, and the book is entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988, September 11, 12, and 13. But it didn't happen. Some of my friends were attending the Church of um, Christian Life Fellowship, one of the biggest churches in the 80s in the Philippines. And they were all preparing to get raptured because they believe that they will be caught up in the clouds either September 11, 12, and 13. The pastor embraced this doctrine, this belief. And I was sharing to them, and I was telling them, it's not going to happen. Why won't it happen? Because you prophesied it. You said it. Because if that happens, you have declared it, then Jesus is wrong. Because Jesus says, no one knows the day and the hour. No one knows the exact date when the rapture would take place. And of course, after September 11, 12, and 13... There were so many Christians who were so dismayed. They felt cheated. They felt lied to. Yes, sir. And many of them left the faith. And it's sad. But it did happen. So it didn't happen in September 11, 12, 13, 1988. So he wrote another book. And the title of it is The Final Shout, 1989. But it didn't happen again. So he was thinking, maybe 1990. But it didn't happen. Maybe 1991. It didn't happen again. Maybe 1992. Of course, the last time he wrote The Final Shout was in 1994. And it didn't happen. No, he didn't give up. He went to heaven. He went to heaven. He died. Yes, sir, he died. But of course, he saw the Lord. But, but then again, he's in heaven. But it's, you, you, you just cannot predict. If Jesus says no one knows, then no one knows. Okay, anyway. But this is a truth in the word of God. He says, watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape. So the rapture of the church of Jesus is an escape from the seven years of tribulation. So what's going to happen? That shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We're going to be standing before the Son of Man. Okay. The theme of the seven churches is blessed is he who overcomes. And there is an invitation to the glorious throne of God. Let me just say this. Not all Christians will enter the kingdom of God. Not all Christians will be part of the rapture of the church of Jesus. You study the seven churches and you'll find out that Jesus has one main message. You got to overcome. Whatever your weakness is, 
whatever your, your sins are, you need to overcome that before the rapture of the church takes place. Blessed is he who overcomes. We need to overcome, my friend. Okay, quickly, John enters into a vision. And instantly I was in the spirit. He was, he entered into the spiritual world. He saw, and look at this. Let's check out what he saw. This is the very first thing that he saw. Not the streets of gold, not, ju- uh, not the new heaven, not the new earth, not the gates. This is the first thing that he saw. He says, I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. This is the most important message in the entire word of God. Because this is God himself, the one who sits on the throne, Yahweh. The one who is in control, the sovereign God. And it says the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper, carnelian, and glow of an emerald circle circled his throne like a rainbow. Some people are thinking, you know, when we get to heaven, we might get bored. <laughs> There's nothing to do. That's not true. Um, we watched O again in, when we went to uh, Vegas. And we, are, we were amazed. So amazing. In fact, I slept 15 minutes. <laughs> but I was able to watch, I guess, 20 to 30 minutes of the show. But it was a great show. And there is a show in, um, in Singapore... Let me read this to you. If you go to Singapore, check out Spectra. It's a Singapore's light show at Promenade in Marina Bay, Sentosa. And all you'll see in the sky and in the waters are flashing of lights, different lights. And for, I guess, 30, 20, 30 minutes, you will be so amazed with those lights. It is a show. And you will never be bored in heaven. Every second of every day, you're right there before the throne of God. And you will see God in His brilliance. He is so wonderful. He is so marvelous. It will be the greatest show of all time. You will see God himself performing. His his presence itself is a show. Yes, sir. It says there, the one sitting on the throne. So amazing. Anyway. Jasper stone is famous for its transparency and comes in variety of colors. It speaks of the perfections of God's nature. To the women, you're familiar with this. It is diamonds. So they say that that is the closest friend, the best friend of uh, any lady. <laughs> well, just imagine this. Heaven is made of 
a jasper stone, that throne. And you don't know how big the throne of God is, where exactly it is, but it is just right there. It's there. And everyone sees it. You've got to envision, you've got to envision while reading Revelation chapter 4. It speaks of the perfection of God's nature. And then it says, having the glory of God and her light. Watch this. In Revelation 21, 11, Her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. So clear, so pure. And you'll see God in His perfection. Clothed with God's glory. In Exodus 28, 17, now we begin to understand why the high priest was wearing this. If you, need, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you have to look at it through the Old Testament lens. You have to see it. And it says, Mount four rows of gemstones on it. The first row will contain a red carnelian, a pale green peridot, and an emerald. Okay. What is a sardine stone? To us, that would be a ruby. Sardine or carnelian stone is red and of a bloody color. It, re it represents the power of the cross. So you have the perfections of God. You have a bloody color of the cross of Calvary. Then emerald is fine green and very pleasant to the eye. The most predominant color of the rainbow. God's covenant of grace and mercy for those who believe. Look at this. The rainbow with its color speaks of the splendor and the majesty of God. It is the sign of God's covenant with Noah in Genesis 9 verse 13. If you still remember, after the flood, after they have recovered, after they have survived the family of Noah, the first thing that they saw was that rainbow. But this rainbow in heaven, in that throne, is not half of a circle. The Bible says God is encircled with that rainbow. The throne is encircled with different colors. In uh, 1 Timothy 6.18, it says God alone possesses immortality. He will never die. And watch this. He dwells in unapproachable light. If we see God today, but of course we cannot. But if we're able to see him, the Bible says that Moses prayed to God. He says, show me your glory. And God says, I cannot show you my glory. If I show you my face, you're going to die. So what he saw was, was lights. There was so much light on the face of God. And the Bible says that God lives, that God dwells in an approachable light. That glittering, glistening glory of God. God is surrounded with God's glory. It is so bright. More bright than the sun. Whom no man can see or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. 
majesty, worship His majesty. He is clothed with honor and is clothed with majesty. There is not an ounce of defect in God. Everything is perfect. He's clothed with glory. Every second of every day in heaven before the throne, you will be amazed of God's glory. I want to be in heaven. Bless the Lord. And I want to get raptured. It says he wraps himself. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. That's what God is. And it's who God is. That's the description of God. It's all lights. Okay. The 24 elders. Let's touch this first. Surrounding the throne were 24 thrones. 24 other thrones. Seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white. And had crowns of gold. And on their heads. They, are, they have these crowns of gold. The question now is. Who are the 24 elders? And there are so many schools of teaching on this. But I just want to give you my view on this. Okay. If you check Revelation chapter 5, the 24 elders are mentioned as kings and priests. But then again, in Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6, Everyone that has been washed by the blood of Jesus are kings and priests unto God. In the Old Testament, God would only deal with kings, priests, and prophets. In the New Testament, it's the same. The kings, the priests, and the prophets. And we are kings and priests unto God washed by the blood of Jesus. So this is... Where I give you my view, my conviction. My conviction, my belief that the 24 elders would be the family of God. They will represent the family of God. And when you speak of the family of God, it is not just the church of the New Testament. But it speaks of the 12 elders of the Old Testament. Or the 12 tribes, which was mentioned a while ago by Pastor Courtney. And the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. 12 plus 12 would be 24. Why do I say that? Because the Bible speaks of a family in heaven. Presently, when Paul was speaking that, he was thinking of not just the believers here on earth but those who have gone before the believers, those who are in heaven. And we all know, catch this, this is so important. When Jesus Christ got resurrected from the dead, all the believers, especially the men of God in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, name it, all of them were taken into heaven. Because no one can enter into heaven unless they're saved by the blood of the Lamb. Unless they're born again. Jesus says you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And when Jesus got resurrected from the dead, they got born again. They got saved by the blood of the Lamb. 
And that was the very second that they became part of the family of God. So there is a family in heaven and there is a family on earth while Paul was speaking to the believers. Quickly, 24 elders, 23 percent the church of Jesus Christ. The 12 men of God from the tribes of Israel. 10 uh, Old Testament believers and 12 apostles of Jesus. Let me give you the scriptures why I believe this. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 15 if you're taking notes. You can also check Colossians chapter 1, 18 to 20. It speaks of the family. It says, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family, can you see it? Every family in heaven and on earth. So they're all part of the family of God. Old Testament believers who receive Jesus, who God saved, derives its name. Okay. Look at this, Matthew 8, 11. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of? With Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, where? In the kingdom of heaven. So we know that the 12 elders... Representing the Old Testament believers or representing Israel. Israel has to be well represented in heaven. It's a chosen nation. It's a chosen people of God. So we know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is part of the twelve. You might ask. Pastor Hens, you might ask. Pastor Ricky, Brother Ricky. Then who are the nine? The nine. Old Testament, men of God. And my answer to you, Pastor Henji, I don't know. <laughs> because it doesn't say. Maybe it's Moses and Elijah because they were there in the transfiguration. I wouldn't know. But we know that Abram, Isaac, and Jacob are part of the 12. Okay. The wall of the city, watch this. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we know that those 12 will come from the New Testament believers. And the names that will be written there are the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God from the throne came flashes of lightning. This is what heaven is all about. The flashes of light and there's rumbling of thunder. Yes, sir. That's heaven for you. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. And he says, John says, this is the sevenfold spirit of God. In Isaiah 11, it doesn't speak of the seven spirits but it speaks of the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Revelation 4, 5. Now look at this. The Jewish tradition is that they have this menorah, this uh, multi-branch candelabra. So we know now what it represents. You have to understand that it is the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. But in one scripture... It is the glory of God that raised Jesus from the dead. The spirit and the glory of God is one and the same. That glory, 
those flashing lights in heaven. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's why there is a menorah, symbolically. That's a characteristics of the Spirit of God. Okay, sea of glass. Okay, we're going to do this quickly. Sea of glass. In front of the throne was a shiny, say shiny. A shiny sea of glass, sparking like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. Now, why is it that there is a shiny sea of glass, sparking like crystal, clear as crystal? There is a huge sea of glass before the throne of God. My friends, that is where we will stand to worship God. Every believer who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, will stand before the sea of glass. After we get caught up in the clouds and we see Jesus in the air, Jesus will bring us before the throne and that is our place. That is the place where we will worship God before the throne. That sea of glass. How do I know that? Well, look at Revelation 15 too. There's a difference here. A little difference. I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. Why mingled with fire? Because it talks about the saints who have gone through tribulation. The other one, you don't see the words mingled with fire. But there's a sea of glass. That's a hint that the church of Jesus Christ will be raptured, and they will be standing at the sea of glass. That is the place where every believer will stand before the Lord. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass. Every believer will stand on the sea of glass, having harps of God. People, we are called... We are called to worship God. We are, we are called to worship the Lord. We are called to see this glory. And we too will be captivated with God's glory. I'm going to do this quickly. In the center and around the throne were four living creatures. These four living creatures, they're like beasts. All over the, new, uh, the, the book of Revelation, you'll see so many symbols and so many descriptions of so many things. So that it, this book will survive the times of life. You'll never forget it. Whether you're young or you're old, when you read it, you're going to get amazed. This is something else. This is so different from all the rest of the books. And it says, these are the angels of God. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face of a, a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. But this same angels in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, was prophesied by Ezekiel. Same words. But this time, Ezekiel gives us this insight that these are angels. So those four living creatures, these powerful beings in heaven are angels. They're seraphims. And they're there to worship God.
God. And the Bible, look at this. In verse 14, the creatures sped back and forth. Back and, they're moving so fast like flashes of lightnings. Symbols of the angels. Many eyes. Why do they have many eyes? Because they're vigilant. Why is it that there's a face of a lion? It speaks of courage. Their courage. Their bravery. Why is it that it's an ox? It speaks of labor and diligence. The diligence of an, of an angel. Why man? Man is the only one that is crowned with honor and glory. Did you know that if you are a worshiper, it means you're privileged. You shouldn't be obligated. You shouldn't be pushed. I see so many, so many song leaders, backup singers that are trying to encourage and encourage and encourage the people to worship God. You shouldn't be encouraged. You should be doing it. It's a privilege to worship God. It's a privilege to give God the highest praise. He gave His only begotten Son. You're forgiven. You're saved. You have eternal life. And you're coming home. You're going to heaven. It is a privilege to worship God. And, the, and, and we are crowned with honor and glory. Man was created for the very purpose of worshiping God. And this four angels, one of the angels had a face of a man. Because they were given the privilege to worship God day and night. And they were singing and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Eagle soaring in the strength of an eagle. Okay, the purpose of the four angels. The four bees had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. within and they rest not day and night. How many are worshipers of God? You love worship. You're, are you having a hard time praising God and worshiping the Lord? Pastor Courtney says there is a praise seminar. <laughs> you should be attending that. Right? Sometimes I'm thinking, how, how, how is it a Christian can enter the kingdom of God without understanding praise and worship? Without living the life of a praiser and a worshiper? As a Christian, you should be a worshiper of God. Anyway, so the angels of God were saying, Holy, holy, holy to Abba, to our Father God. And what it says, day and night, night and day. And they were not resting. The four angels were not resting. In the, in the year of the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. He is high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the throne of his robe filled the temple. Can you see God in his majesty? Can you see God in his glory? Can you see God in his might and his power? Can you see him when you pray, when you worship God? He is clothed. He is clothed with glory. We as Christians, as believers, should give Him the highest praise. We come to church to worship God. He is high and exalted. Isaiah 6 verses 2 and 3. Isaiah's revelation saying, holy, holy, speaks of the seraphim. Okay, we're closing in a while. We fall down, we lay down. Our crimes. 
We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to who? Why is he seated on the throne? To who? To the Father. The four angels, these powerful angels, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And they were saying glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Watch this. The 24 elders represents the whole family of God. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Can you see yourself? Can you see yourself as one of those that will fall down and worship God? They lay their crowns before the throne. You are worthy, O Lord, and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Why am I breathing? Why am I alive? Why am I a believer of the Lord Jesus? Our response to that glorious throne Every time we pray, we see him in his glory. We see a glorious God. We see a great God. We see someone exalted and lifted up. What is our response to this thundering, roaring, this flashing of lights all over the throne, encircled by a rainbow? Our response to that. His worship. I hope I'm getting this message to you. Because this is one of the most important things that you must be doing here on earth. Because this is one of the most important things that we will be doing in heaven. Remember, this is Revelation chapter 1. The very second you stepped into glory, you stand at the sea of glass. You see him in his glory, and your response is, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. We fall down. We fall down. Reflections, I close with this. The Lord said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing, and I believe it's done. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Why is Jesus coming again? The second coming, the rapture of the church, those are two different things. But why? 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 Why is he coming again? To receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Continue to study Revelation chapter 5. Because the main focus of Revelation chapter 5, you will see Jesus seated on his throne, the Lamb 
who has been slain. He's right there. He has his own throne. And where he is, there you may be also. You will be there where he is. We see a glimpse of God's glorious throne. We have been invited to this majestic throne room. This is our eternal home. Jesus is coming again. He is coming for us, his bride. How do we respond? And we say, Maranatha. Oh, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Take us home. Take us home. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this time that we've read and studied the Word of God. And we see the very first thing from earth, which is the church age, suddenly we're brought to this view of heaven. What a privilege to see this vision. What a privilege, O oh God, to see you on your throne, so glorious, so marvelous, so majestic, filled with so many lights, surrounded by the four angels, by the 24 angels, by angelicals, thousands of hundreds of hundreds, thousands of angels worshiping you. And you are bringing us to that sea of glass to stand before you. So that we may respond. So that we may fall. So that we may lay down our crowns. And worship you. For who you are. The God that we are serving. Father truly. Is worthy of praise. We are nothing without you. You created us. And you created us. For this very purpose. To praise you. And to worship you. Let the people of God worship you forever and ever. As long as there's breath in their being. Let them live to sing, to praise, and to worship their God. Father, our last words. We love you with all of our hearts. We love you, God. In Jesus' name.